You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Excited to be back with a very special episode today. Welcome back to a new episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And this is a pretty special episode because we've been getting to know some of our listeners and and really enjoying that, especially through the Facebook group. Um, And now we're going to introduce everyone to some of our listeners who have been really active in that Facebook group. You know, I'm really excited about this actually because... The Facebook group has continued to grow. We keep getting more members uh, almost on a daily basis mm-hmm. at this point. And the interaction has been – I don't think we've had one issue. When you look yeah, at other yeah, you're right. when you look at other native plant groups, I always see something that makes me cringe a little bit. <laughs> Nothing has made yeah. me cringe. So, it's probably just not big enough. <laughs> it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. <laughs> that might happen. Yeah. You know, it might happen. I, I know eventually we might have to step in and go, uh, yeah. you know, but we haven't had to do that. So I'm yeah. really excited yeah. about that. So. But, but before we get into the bigger discussion, Fran, why don't you tell everyone about your vacation? Yeah, I was on vacation last week. I almost didn't even realize I hadn't taken vacation. I was looking at my vacation time. I was like, oh, I guess I need to take some. <laughs> it's been such a, a strange year, and it wasn't – It's in my life, this is the first vacation that I've ever taken that I had no plans. Like I took a week mm-hmm. off without going somewhere on a de- as a destination. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> Agatha and I actually did a few day trips. Like I actually took two days where I did nothing. One day I stayed in my pajamas the entire day. It was a rain day. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I did, I took one day where I, I did stuff around the house, but we, we, we tried to do some of the destinations that we've talked about on the podcast. So we went to Duke farms mm-hmm. uh, now that they've reopened. Um, and we spent a day there, and it was the first time Agatha and her son had ever been there. And uh, you know, it was it was wonderful. It was it was kind of a shame that um, some of the exhibits were closed, but understandably, like the Orchid House is closed, mm-hmm. like and it's pretty close quarters. There's no way that could be yeah, opened. Yeah. Um, but you know, I had never seen the meditation garden, so that was a new. Uh, that was a new thing for me. So, mm-hmm. which was which was very very cool. Everyone loved it. We had a great time. We walked the Kinkora Trail for the first time. Yeah, and it, that's close. We can we can pretty much almost see it from the office. <laughs> like that's how close Kinkora Trail is, and I've never walked it. So, um, that was the first time we'd ever walked the Kinkora Trail, and I loved it. That was absolutely phenomenal. I, I wasn't expecting that. You know, you see the open areas. I didn't realize the wooded winding mm-hmm. things. And there were things that I've never seen in the wild. Like, I'd never seen partridge pea yeah, in yeah. the wild. And that was, I know we donated plant material that mm-hmm. became a pollinator garden, but that wasn't part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just intrigued by some of the native plants that I'd never seen in the wild. So we did that. It was, it was a bunch of really cool, you know, plus we did the beach, you know, we did, mm. we did things like that. So we went to Philly for a day. It was our first, first dinner. Uh, it was a lunch, first lunch out since March. Yeah. yeah I haven't and, done that yet either. Yeah. It, it was kind of crazy. First lunch since 
it was like mid-March. And it was outside. It was like an outdoor. Mm-hmm. We're right in Fishtown in Philadelphia. Uh, but we had a great meal, and it was nice just to be out. And and it, it, it was a really nice vacation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always nice to just kind of clear your head for a little bit. And But it's cool you visited some of the places that we talked about before. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, I've done Duke Farm before, but it was nice to see what was new. Mm-hmm. And the Kinkora Trail was something that's so local that we've never done. And uh, we definitely are going to do that. We actually were talking about biking the entire trail. Yeah, which I, which I think is over twenty miles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it does start over at Crystal Lake Park, which we've talked about a couple yeah. times, and then comes through. And it yeah. was actually named after an old. Um, it's a part of the rails, the trails thing that that's going on. I think all over the country, but especially mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, so it's it, it was kind of cool, but I'm I'm happy to be back. Enough about mm-hmm. enough about my vacation, but uh, I noticed while we were gone, we got a few uh, a couple new reviews. We did, yeah, we got two more. And uh, so thanks to Billy Boggs, which is a great name for, for that, the guy. I we know. know who the person is, and it, it when I saw his name, I was like, "That's yeah. that's very fitting." Yeah. And then uh, and he's probably listening too. Yeah. So yeah, very very <laughs> but, cool. And then we had uh, List fourteen eighty one, and both gave us really nice reviews, and um, both are now eligible to win Doctor Sal's book, The Nature of Nature: Why We Need the Wild. So if you listen to the last episode, that was one of the one of the ways you could win a book. We're giving away two. One is through. Uh, leaving a five-star review and uh the other one was through uh letting us know what you liked about the episode in our facebook group. and sharing it make sure you yes, share yeah. that post also so i notice there's more comments and shares because um, we have no way of seeing who shares a post so mm-hmm. we kind of need your comment to know that yep, you did that yep. so if you just share it and you don't comment we may not notice so did we ever speaking about getting feedback did we ever set a date uh, that I everyone don't, needed to enter by. I don't know if we actually said that I don't, or not. I don't think, because we, we uh, need to pick a winner, but we want to give everyone ample time to the, listen and, and enter. Yeah, the book doesn't come out until the 25th. So I guess we you want to either do the 25th or you want to do by the time our next podcast airs would be to the 20, August 28th. Let's do it after that. Let's give them a little more time. Let's okay. give it till after Labor Day. What about like the 12th, September 12th? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that works for me. so let's say September twelfth. Make sure you enter. You give your five star reviews on Stitcher or Apple uh, Podcast, or uh, enter the uh, join our Facebook group and share and and comment mm-hmm. on that uh, for your chance to win. And a if book. you want two chances, you're only going to win one book. But if you want two chances, you can do both. So there's yeah. not, it's not you a can one only or the win, other thing. Yeah, because you we, only win one book, but <laughs> you get double the odds if you do it both. I have noticed that people have. Um, entered both so you mm-hmm. can only win one book but but more chances the better yep. yeah so awesome so so i think we're we should probably kick into this yeah we should probably start start talking about our our guests today. yeah and we have four of our listeners on and um really from diverse backgrounds uh you have one person who's who's actually in the landscaping business one person who's in the nursery business yeah. um and then one from uh, New Jersey and the one from New Hampshire. Hampshire. Yeah, so we tried to yeah. to make it a little more diverse. So we're excited to to have this conversation because we know some of the people, we know some of the people better than others, and some we don't know at all. Mm-hmm. So this is this is really exciting <laughs> for us because we get to to share this experience with everyone. So we're really looking forward to this. So, but, but we're going to start off with uh, with the guy who's in the landscaping industry. Um, who I've heard speak a couple times, and uh, the first time I heard him speak, he was talking a lot about Dr. Doug Tallamy and using natives and how to make your yard better for 
for birds and a lot of stuff that when I give presentations, I'm saying many of the same things. I'm like, oh, this is someone that I need to meet. So, um, Rich, why don't you go ahead and, and give your uh, more of your credentials and, and explain a little bit about what you do and what got you into um, organic lawn care? Uh, sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, Tom and Fran, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And Thank you thanks for, for the for the other guys on the and, and girl on the on the call here. Um, appreciate you guys. So what really got me started in this, I sort of fell into it back in the 90s and worked conventionally till I started my business in 93, incorporated in 95. In 2005, we switched from conventional trans uh, traditional landscaping to um, you know, sustainable and organic and, and more of a focus on native plants. Richard, just uh, before, before you go, can you say the name of your mm -hmm. company also? Oh, that would help, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard, Richard McCoy, Horticultural <laughs> Services. Okay, uh, we're, we're, ba yeah, we're based in Ringo's, New Jersey. Uh, and most of our work is in the, in the print Mercer County, Princeton. And we do some work in Somerset and, uh, Northern, Northern ocean in Monmouth counties. Um, which those so, are all those are all hotspots, and it's as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Yeah. Like especially, I think of that that Ringo's area. Um, that's a, a huge. I think a lot more environmentally conscious, mm -hmm. like customer yeah. base. Yeah, well, there's the you know in, in Princeton, there's the Sustainable Princeton Group, which I think is really one of the one of the leading. Um, municipalities as far as sustainability in New Jersey. Um, I think they're, I think they're sort of setting the bar for everybody else, which is, which is a great place to work because of the, the awareness that they bring. It, it sort of helps us, um, you know, do what we do and make people aware of, of, of the, you know, the organic and ecological side of the landscape industry. Um, so yeah, so just touching back on where we got started, it was two, around 2005 when we switched from tra uh, traditional to organic and ecological um, ways of managing landscapes and installing landscapes and since then you know we haven't we haven't looked back um you know we we've partnered with nofa connecticut and you know tom like you mentioned i'm a, I'm a doug Talmy, like you know i'm a groupie and I, every time every time i get a chance to see him talk or read his books i do and you know we base our landscape uh, designs based on his work and the number of pollinators that that you know that mm -hmm. he that he and the University of Delaware have listed um, that that plants actually call into the landscape. So that his work's been usually influ influential on on what we do. You, you know, one thing I I I I feel is really interesting about your business is Tom and I were having the conversation beforehand. Was that most of our customers really, and, and we're wholesale, we're, so we're dealing with with municipalities and businesses. That they're they're doing mostly commercial work, and I can't name very very many of our customers that are strictly or, or not strictly, but that do a large portion mm -hmm. of residential. Um, and I, I I find that you know I find it shocking that that I don't know more, but I love that you know there's also people that can't find any, and mm -hmm. we want it to bring to light someone that that specializes in that and does that. So how how did you? How did you make that transition? Like you were in business for a while before you got there. What, yeah. what kind of sparked you to to go in that direction? Uh, it's funny, right? My wife and I decided to have kids. Okay. And when when that happened, we decided to you know into around two thousand ish to you know we started to think about cleaning things up and eating organically. And I had a one of my mentors today come onto a property and asked me if um, he he actually is is um, uh, a, a wholesale 
uh, organic distributor. Okay. And I don't want to mention his name, you know, without your permission, so I'm not going to do that. No, go ahead. Um, go ahead. But, it's, but, fine. Uh, it's fine. It's Bar uh, Barry Draycott. Oh, yeah. Tech Terror Environmental. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so he walked on to, and he and I have been, you know, known each other for a while before that. So he walked mm -hmm. on to a property and he said, why don't you do things organically? And I said, that never works. It's, it's too expensive. There's no way it would ever work. And then I started digging in a little bit and I took some classes from, like I mentioned, the, the folks at NOFA Connecticut. And once I did that and I realized that the soil biology is alive, and you have to deal with the soil first. And that's when you started talking about right plant, right place, and all those things just sort of started to click. And the organic thing just sort of took on a, a life of itself. And it's just, you know, it's the way we live now. Um, it's not just a work or landscape philosophy. It's, you know, it's ingrained in my life. And mm. it, it, it makes what we do that much more rewarding because we can, you know, we can transition people, we can transition people's properties from an ecologically negative um, property to one that's just like loaded with ecology and, and, you know, soil biology and pollinators and all kinds of cool stuff and that people don't even realize should be there. Um, and once they start to see that, it, it really, you know, it really just, it really sparks their interest. So, you know, it's, it just, we just sort of fell into it, but it, once we fell into it, it, it just sort of took on a, a life mm -hmm. of itself. But I love that you kind of came to that conclusion on your own and it led you in that direction. Like full disclosure for me, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, I – when I came to Pinelands Nursery, it was – without without making it sound bad, like it was a job for me. It was – I was working at Princeton Nurseries. I had been there about nine years, mm -hmm. and they decided to – to close the door so I, I was in need of work and at the time my my children were young and uh, my wife at the time didn't want to move because uh, we had moved for for jobs in the past and and we liked where we were at and we wanted to call it home and I was fortunate enough that after that conversation the next day uh, Don Knezic who was the president at the time of Pinelands Nursery called me and asked me to come in so it was it's a it was a way for me to stay close to home and with my kids I didn't realize I was going to love it <laughs> And it would become a way of life for me. It, it was totally life changing for me. So yeah. um, it's it's kind of funny how I fell into that. And I can't imagine not doing what I do now. Like, and I knew it pretty quickly. I think I was here. I wasn't here that long, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm never going back to that. Like, I'm staying here. Yeah. You'll have to drag yeah. me out of here. So um, I'm kind of glad. I, I think that's more meaningful when you stumble upon it the way you did. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, if, and there's 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 not a day I don't get up and I, I wish I didn't have to go to work. You know, I just I absolutely absolutely love what I do. And the nice thing about it too, about making that transition, uh, is, you know, we sort of got stuck in that rut of doing things a certain way by the calendar because you, that's just the way we did it, and it happens that way, and that's the way we do it, and so on and so forth. Um, once once I realized that you start looking at things differently and solving problems instead of you know using a, a bottle of something to put a band-aid on something and you actually fix the issue um, whether it's soil biology or moving a plant from full sun to shade that wants to be in shade not full sun once you realize those things it just it makes things easier um, and, and like you said I mean I, there's no way I would ever I would ever turn back and it's just you know the, the nice thing about coming to work every day is nothing's the same you know, you're, you're never stuck in a routine. Everything changes. And, and, and it's, yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, there's no doubt I love what I do. So, you, you know, it's, it's pretty nice when you realize that if, if you're, if you're following the science and the nature of it, you don't have mm -hmm. to put a square peg through a round hole. Like there, <laughs> everything has a, a need and a place 
that's that's sometimes pretty specific. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look right. at the area, see what's growing naturally, and know what know what belongs there. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. that's 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 one of the things that I like about it. Uh, for me dealing with it yeah but. and that's one of the things we've seen with um some architects that we've dealt with where well, especially on the, the restoration side of things but even a little bit on the residential where they'll actually take an inventory of what's already growing on the site or in that area or in uh i've even heard of instances where they're looking at stuff that grew it might be 50 miles away but it's similar conditions and they say oh well this is what's growing here and this is and the historic and the historical you know aspects of it you know and coming from you know i'm trying to say this politely coming from the ornamental side of the the industry you don't always see that with architects Mm -hmm. it may be i want this plant i want them to all look alike Mm -hmm. they i don't care if no one grows them or if they don't grow here i want them because this is the look Mm -hmm. i'm trying to achieve but where we'll get like hey we don't have this plant it's like oh well what what else is a fact wet that can take you know this condition and they're not you know Mm -hmm. just because it's it's not cardinal flower and it's not red they're not they're not heartbroken they just want what's going to survive they were hoping for that but if they can get diversity elsewhere Mm -hmm. right they're happy with that yeah well that's what that's what Doug Tommy says right too it's not plants you know you can't just look at plants just from an ornamental value anymore they have to be Mm -hmm. looked at from an ecological standpoint um you know, and that's the, that's a key right there. So, so that transition was that difficult for like for you? It was you were heading that way personally. Mm-hmm. Was it a tough transition customer wise? Did 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 you have customers that were bucking that, or did you have customers that didn't understand, or was it a little um, easier so, than what you expected? Yeah, no, it was it was pretty easy. Um, the most difficult thing was transitioning the the lawn care the or, to organic lawn mm-hmm. care. Okay. That was the most difficult part, but we had, we had, and still do have a great base of clients that are wide open to, to us trying things on their properties. Um, and, and because of our clients, I think that's why we're successful at what we do because, you know, I'm able to say to somebody, you know, we're going to try this on your property and if it doesn't work, you know, obviously it doesn't work and we'll fix it. Um, but yeah, our clients have been great all the way through this. Um, our, and our employees too. I mean, they're all, everybody's into it. They've all taken the, I'm a member of the Rutgers organic land care working group and we have a four day uh, certificate course and, you know, a good portion of the employees that are here have taken that course um, and, or have a certificate of organic land care uh, through that course. Very which, nice. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 again, it's like, once you start to live that way, you start to, it's like anything else. When you're in those circles, you start to attract those people that, mm-hmm. that are like you. Um, and it, it again, it, it just works out pretty cool. But that's I think that's the best I think that's the best way to explain how we were able to transition and make it easy. And even now, um, our clients come to us because of the work we do. Um, I don't compete. I don't consider us competition for other landscape companies because nobody does what we do. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that we're the end all be all either. I said, don't, you know, don't get me wrong by that, but there's not a lot of companies. I don't think like you mentioned friend that, that provide organic lawn care that provide, um, sustainable solutions for, you know, like rain gardens and permeable walkways and, and native plants and do all those things that make a property, a holistic system. Um, I don't think there's too many clients that there are too many property, uh, too many uh companies that do that no no and there are people that want that and we're learning that from our own from our listeners from our facebook group i mean that's a great group of people that are very knowledgeable and and know what they Mm -hmm. want and 
yeah. and want that. And I, I think that's a, probably a good transition into some of our other guests because because there's the lack of um, resources like you have, Rich. A lot of them are starting to do it on their own. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. one of those people is, is Roz. So, Roz, why don't you tell us how like you're kind of in the horticultural industry and maybe it's a little bit more conventional. What what sparked your love with natives? Yeah, introduce yourself first, if you don't yeah. mind, and then and then tell us about that. Okay. Well, um, my name is Rosalind Doremus. Um, I've been in the horticulture uh, business for for many years, more than half of my life. Um, I started at a wholesale nursery um, and retail um, when I was sixteen. And that was Barton Nursery, and um, I got familiar uh, with many facets of the business, um, you know, uh, meeting the demands of, you know, construction companies, bigger landscape residential, and then I even dealt with homeowners. And um, while I always had an immense love for being outdoors and camping and just learning the names of flowers with my mom, um, I really didn't know too much. So... I was kind of learning alongside the um, retail customers while selling them their plants. I'd be looking them up and, you know, trying to learn what they are and where they were to be planted. And, um, you know, I worked there for 10 years. And then um, I took another job uh, at Pleasant Run Nursery in Allentown. And um, they were more uh, geared towards pollinators and um, being sustainable and just working with the environment as opposed to, you know, like Rich says, trying to make things work for you when really when you work with them, it's just much easier. Um, And um, while I always had a horticultural background, being at Pleasant Run really connected me back to my, you know, natural being as just myself and the pollinators and hanging out with the butterflies and the birds and just wanting that to be... um, everywhere and in everybody's yard <laughs> you know i just um and i go ahead i'm sorry go ahead um no. i guess and then i just more recently you know um left pleasant run and um put have been focusing my energies um working with homeowners and just um getting them to try and love nature right alongside me so mm-hmm. that's kind of where i am today <laughs> it's, it's awesome. i wanted to point out because you mentioned pleasant run and they're and you mentioned sustainable, and they're part of the sustainable business mm-hmm. uh, registry in New Jersey, as are we, yeah. as is Richard. Rich, yeah. So I think we're three of the five, either landscape yeah. or nursery, <laughs> in New Jersey that are members. So we're in good company mm-hmm. right now. So um, one of the things I love about now, Raz also has her own Facebook page where she posts, and, and you're completely transforming. How big is your property? Um, we have three acres here. Okay. And, and you're, you're completely transforming it, which I love, but I just love (laughs) how you present it. You're like, you're very peace. Like to me, you're very peaceful (laughs) and free spirited and just everything is like all loving. I've, I've never heard you say a bad word or, (laughs) or like, (laughs) or, you know, it's, you know, just a very, um, not, I'm not. I'm trying to think of the word. Not generous, but like you're. You're just a very kind soul, uh, and and it comes through with, with all of this. So, we love that you. We're starting to see you transition. You're not completely 100% native, but you're a lot. You're a, 
I, I see a lot of what you're doing is native. Mm -hmm. um, the native draw for me um, is very simple. It's um, it's it's probably just ingrained in who I am. <laughs> um, not only are the plants beautiful, but they're the right plants for the right spot. Um, we have a heavy clay soil. Um, it could be very, very wet. And um, the plants that I have back there, the Ilex fertisillatas, the Clethras, the Eupatorium, um, all the ones that you see on my Facebook page are just the ones that belong there. You know, the milkweeds. I'm not, I'm not doing anything outside the box. And truthfully, the way we started um, converting our entire yard to gardens was because my husband, Matthew, it's also in horticulture. Um, he wanted less to mow. Um, <laughs> he wanted less to mow. We've got a lot of big trees back there. They've got extensive root systems. And, um, you know, he's mowing them over, and the trees probably aren't happy. But if we create gardens around them, mm -hmm. it's just it's less work that he's got to do, you know? So. <laughs> well, and it's and, and lawn really ecologically isn't, isn't serving. Yeah as much purpose as yeah. what you're doing uh you know which it, it's nice to see so um let's let's introduce the other yeah. the other oh, guests yeah. too so um skip would you mind introducing yourself yeah i'm, I'm uh, skip Ernst. um skip i guess i should say uh i'm 34 i am living freehold here awesome uh, i just had my second child actually oh congratulations awesome. yeah. congratulations yeah, thank you. So, yeah 12 days old and wow. I, uh, gonna be, wow. Yeah. Man, I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time out. Yeah. I know how hard it is to have time when, when you have children that young. So I, I we, we yeah. both really appreciate that. One of the things that that why we wanted to have you on is I I guess my question for you is do you have a background in this in this field at all? I actually don't have any background at all. I just, uh, wow. I don't know. I just have like a curiosity and I like to, to do things myself and do things hands on. Yeah. Like I was always doing projects with my dad when I was a kid. Okay. All right. I, so, uh, yeah. I, we are both really impressed just with your mm -hmm. knowledge. Um, and you're, you're very, it's, it's not just a knowledge that's, that's spouted out. Like you, you back everything up and you have, like a good knowledge of even where to find plants, who's who's doing good things, uh, right plants to use. Even and what impressed both Tom and I was the other day in our Facebook group, you shared your growing setup, mm -hmm. which oh, yes. which was extremely impressive. Um, wow. Especially knowing also that you have two young kids, yeah, and <laughs> and you're maintaining that too. So for those listeners that aren't a member of the Facebook group, can you talk a little bit about? what we're discussing with your, your growing setup and, and what you're doing on your property? Well, um, I guess, I guess I should tell you a little bit, a little bit about the property. Okay. I would love uh, that. I moved here and yeah, I moved here in 2015 and, uh, we bought the house from some flippers, but they, before that, the property is basically abandoned for like 10 years. Okay. Wow. So they, they didn't really touch the yard. It was like a jungle back there. And, wow. uh, back then I, I literally knew nothing about plants or landscaping or anything. And uh, I thought everything was nice. And then I started just trying to figure out like, what's this plant? What's this plant? And I was like, Oh, this is a cool ground cover. What's that? And it turned out it was like basically a field of garlic mustard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, know, I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just 
Like I spent like weekends just pulling out multi-four rows in Japanese honeysuckle. Wow. And uh, that's when I decided to try to start replacing some of that stuff mm-hmm. with um, plants that should be here. So, no. so then obviously I looked into wow. like nurseries and I was like, this is no way I'm going to be able to afford this. <laughs> yeah. No. So it, then I just tried, started thinking about how to grow it for, grow plants for myself. Now, when you said that you had a lot of invasives in your backyard, I think a lot of people probably wouldn't have even taken the time to look it up. But even if they found out what it was, probably would have looked at it and said, oh, I'm not messing with this. What spurred you on to kind of tackle that project and, and say, hey, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff? I, I don't really know. I just Just something clicked? Yeah, it was like kind of like a... Like Rosalind mentioned, like a maintenance thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The plants spread. You know, I mean, you can't just like leave them there. They just get more and more thick. Yeah. I, I think so. As you mentioned, you, you're trying to grow some plants yourself. So you shared like your growing uh, setup. So, but you're not just, you're not just trying to grow one or two things or using one method to grow everything. You actually like different soil types. Like you've researched out like, soil types and what you need to to grow each thing properly like you can tell that you're inquisitive enough that you're asking all the right questions to do it yeah so um i guess the first thing that i tried was was like uh there's like a website or a facebook group winter selling mm-hmm. and uh you can see that on like instant i mean uh like message boards and forums and stuff like that okay so uh so i tried that and then i just you know, I thought I needed more plants, and uh, it'd be easier to transplant things from the plug trays. So I just kind of went with that logic and built, like, these uh, cold frame kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I was trying to think about, like, I don't really have room inside my house for a big grow area with lights and all that stuff, and that's going to hit my electric bill. And, and what you're doing, it's kind of silly to use a lot of energy for things I'm not selling and things that nature just grows by itself. So Yeah. So I was thinking about how I could do this passively, using just the sun and the weather, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the first thing I tried was, you know, like a, a cold frame with like row cover fabric over it, so the water could get through. Okay. But uh, that didn't really work well. That it kept ripping and. Gotcha. You know. So I just, <clears throat> I don't know. I just kept on that track and just continued experimenting until. Uh, something that kind of worked and then you, you, I came into like failures, you know, <laughs> and I just like, you know, I thought about why isn't this plant growing? Like why isn't the soil draining? And then uh, you, that's where I kind of looked into like what's wrong with my soil or what's wrong with plants or that kind of thing. And, and how many plants would you say that you're growing for yourself on a, like a yearly basis? Um, I mean, definitely at least like, 50, 100. Okay. Well, All right. Very nice. I'm, yeah, I'm, plant, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grow a lot. Like I planted, <laughs> I think that's that like almost a thousand. And and I yeah, love your, then, your experimentation too, because you had mentioned you tried sewing certain things together. Correct. Am I, am I correct in that? Yeah. So everything is basically sewed in uh in those flats and, um, or the, they're like deep plug trays. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like a row, like I have a row, it's like doing a daster and, the one next to that's like zigzag goldenrod, and then there's like New York aster. 
And uh, so they're all actually together in there all winter long. And uh, it is kind of like a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, the one of them I did have does have like a plastic cover now. Okay. So to kind of control the rain a little bit better. All right. Very nice. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny when that when that conversation came up in our Facebook group, I I almost I actually typed something and then I deleted because I'm like, you know, it, it's it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And then I started typing and typing and typing. I'm like, oh no, this is pretty complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into. You know, because I was thinking, I was like, of how we do things at the nursery. But then, you know, then I started really breaking it down. I was like, you know, we grow a lot of wetland plants. You know, where, you know, we we do some upland plants, but we specialize in mm -hmm. wetlands. So we do emergence one way. We do wetlands one way. You know, it's it's basic soil types, but we'll mix the percentages around for this crop and mm -hmm. that crop. So it does vary. So. It, like I was generalizing, and then I realized nah, it's really not that that general. <laughs> yep. I should probably just be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> um, and and how how much of your your property do you think that you've converted since you started doing that? Um, well, I started with the that front landscape bed. I, I posted a couple of pictures on there. Yeah, and uh, I think that's like seven hundred fifty square feet. Nice, very nice. Then I have another. I have like another area that's like 75 square feet by like four or like four to six feet wide. Okay. Um, that's like mostly shrubs and stuff. And then we put up a fence. Actually that, that last line I put up or I planted it to be a fence, but you know, plants don't really work on our timelines. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I put, I put a fence up and now I'm basically just, planting everything all along the entire fence line mm. and like one of the fence lines is like 114 feet long you know another one's like 200 feet long wow so. wow very nice yeah. very nice yeah i think we should probably yeah. introduce now, james next. and we we made him wait because he's already a podcast celebrity he he is he's our resident <laughs> yes. podcast celebrity this isn't his first rodeo he's, yeah, he's we're expecting he's, big things here <laughs> all right i'm ready all right go ahead and introduce yourself james Sure. My name is James Davis. I do live in New Hampshire now, but I actually grew up in New Jersey. Uh, so just like all of you, I'm from the Garden State, or at least spent quite a large portion of my life there. I uh, kind of stumbled into caring about gardening and, and native plants and things uh, just after I became a homeowner in New Jersey. I think I, I went a long time without caring about plants at all. And then there was something about owning property and watching the plants come up on the property that was really I don't know, entrancing to me somehow, you know, it really got my attention and I happen to have a lot of free time on my hands at that time as well. So just started kind of getting into it. I took a master gardener classes there in Mercer County. I think I was the youngest person by 20 years old, maybe, <laughs> there, but, but it was a good time and I learned a ton and, you know, kind of been continuing on the journey through my various stops and then. So we did, you know, we, we, we've been teasing you about it, but we, Tom and I both listened to the, mm -hmm. the podcast you were on and I thought it was a great oh. episode and, uh, you know, both listening to both you and your wife, it's, it's nice that both of you are enjoying that journey together mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you were saying you have a, you were from New Jersey and you do have a little bit of a background. Did I remember you, you worked at a preserve? Uh, not exactly. So I ran a summer camp, okay. uh, mm -hmm. in upstate New York okay. and, that was 850 acres, and you know we certainly. By then, I was very into, you know, gardening and plants and so forth. And I was just finishing up my master gardener classes when I got there, actually. So, you know, we definitely took a really close look at trying to 
take a, an intentional look at that property and figure out what its best use could be. So, you know, we installed a, a one acre organic community garden up there. Uh, we did look at the plants that were growing on the landscape, tried to eradicate some invasives like the Japanese knotweed and garlic mustard and so on. Uh, but I was also just super busy, you know, with young kids and, you know, working 40 hours a day during the year and then 80 hours a week during the uh, summer. So <laughs> didn't have too much time yeah. for it. So I've really, really gone headlong into plants now that we're here in New Hampshire, kind of settled in to a pretty normal routine. And I actually have some free time on my hands again. Nice. Now, do you do you feel it's easier or harder going native in New Hampshire as opposed to New Jersey? Do you think it's, it's a good question? Like, is it more? Are they more conscious in New England? Do you think it's? And I and I know things change rapidly. Also, everyone's becoming more aware every day. But I didn't know if you felt you you were in one area or another that you were alone. There weren't very many people doing it, or that it was more mm. accepted, and you, there were a lot more people that understood what you were trying to accomplish. You know, it's so hard to say because I think the biggest thing that's changed over the last ten years is just how great communication has become. So I moved away from New Jersey about 10 years ago. So this okay. is what I'm judging it based on. And I, I think one good kind of measuring stick is what's available at your local nursery. And I think mm -hmm. I certainly see up here more native plants mm -hmm. than I did at my nurseries in New Jersey when I would go out. But I also wasn't really looking for it back then either. You know, I was just kind of looking for stuff that I thought looked good at the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that my you know, like native plants are one of these things where once you kind of tune your lens to see it, you see them more often and you get more interested in it. Yes. Whereas when you're just kind of like, hey, what pretty things can I plant in my yard? Your eyes are just going to be drawn to, first of all, things you recognize from other people's yards, you know, rhododendrons mm -hmm. and daylilies and things like that. And and especially things that are in bloom when you're at the nursery too, right? So yeah. that's going to be mostly things that are in bloom in June when people start thinking about gardening. So I think uh, it's it's pretty tough to say. I will say there's a very supportive group of native gardeners up here, and it's been really fun to connect with people who have that shared vision. And I happen to be right close to UNH as well, and okay. they have a really great research program for uh, native wildflower meadows that I've been able to tie into too. So uh, there's certainly a great community up here for native plant enthusiasts. And and how much of your yard do you think you've you've converted? Oh geez, not as much as I would like to. I'm looking out the window now. <laughs> I'd say we're pro we're only up to about. 15 or 20 percent but we have a okay. we're planners so we have a, a master plan cooking to get that up to between 80 and 85 percent in the next five years or so yeah, awesome awesome wow. and and we've heard a lot of our our listeners say that like carolyn Clauba from the sourland conservancy she's also in the group she mentioned i'm trying to remember the percentage that her and her husband are shooting for i'd like that a lot of the people that are doing this already have an idea of what they want to accomplish it's not just one plan at a time it's like we like to convert this much of the yard mm -hmm. and and i love that I, yeah I really one plant at a time is too expensive anyway you know, <laughs> like if you want to go buy one plant it's going to cost you up here you know 15 bucks or something like that so you know i've been trying to get better about and that was actually a question i was going to have for you all and uh rich as well which is if you aren't a you know large-scale gardener that's going to get put in 700 plants at a time like if you had any thoughts about economical ways to go about that because you know i do some online ordering um you know, 25 plants here and 50 plants mm. there, but even that will run you eventually. And I know Skip oh, is yeah. starting from yeah. seed, but I've always been pretty intimidated by that. Just wondering if there were kind of best practices you guys had in mind. You, you know, it's it, it's funny because I was actually going to bring it up when you talked about 
finding more plant material in garden centers. You, you know, 10 years ago, 13 years ago, um, we actually tried to get our material in garden centers. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some, some differences with what we do. And, and we do smaller sizes. Um, like we're doing 50-cell trays, so there's 50 plugs of one type in a tray. And uh, we don't do any ornamental pruning there's no ornamental pruning done at all um and we try not to spray so at certain times of the year things don't look good our eupatorium right now we're shipping based on root health not what the tops look like um you know and it's hard to put that material in at least 10 years ago to put that material in a garden center and for them to have a knowledgeable enough staff with natives to be able to explain that to a customer um especially when you take like a one-gallon sweet pepper bush from us with no ornamental pruning and put it next to a three-gallon from another nursery that might be a variety that's been pruned and fertilized. Mm. And, you know, anyone who doesn't know what they're looking at is going to choose the other one over ours. So it's, you know, I think the awareness is a lot different than it was 10 years ago. And I think it's more feasible now. And we've actually talked with other growers about taking our plants and Mm -hmm. growing them on to the next size because not every homeowner is going to want 50 plants of one, Mm -hmm. one variety. Um, So Mm -hmm. I understand, you know, I, we were going to ask that question to all of you actually, (laughs) if you were finding that, um, uh, uh, an obstacle in finding plant material or an economical so, way to find plant material. Yeah. Friend, if I could just jump in. Oh, please, please. Um, so yeah. So what we do with, I mean, we use a lot of plugs. So when you, I mean, even, I mean, our clients, you know, you know, nobody's got a, just a, a tree full of money that they go and shake. So, you know, we have budgets that we have to work within, you know, because, you know, they're not doing the work themselves, but, they want to cover large expanses of area. Like, you know, like, like I mentioned, we manage turf organically, but I would just as soon get rid of it and manage a smaller portion of turf and incorporate, you know, borders of natives or, you know, meadow or whatever the case is, but it takes time for that to develop. So, you know, you do a combination of, you know, a seed mix, you know, a locally grown seed mix. Um, and, you know, you use plugs and you use one gallon uh, perennials and you use some shrubs that are in three gallons and you scale it um, depending upon budget and what their expectations are. Now, one of the great things about using plugs, I think, is that they establish so quickly. And that's you know? a great point. I was going, yeah. I was actually going to say that part of the reason that we grow plugs is just root to shoot ratio. You know, the smaller the plant, the quicker the transplant. So that planting a plug in in March and a court in March by the end of the year, you know, is there really that much difference? You know, it's more of an immediate impact than anything. Yeah, and you cover you cover a lot more ground. I exactly. Mean, no, no pun intended. I mean, you do you just you can cover a lot more space, a lot more effectively and efficiently. Yeah. yeah, and then I guess my two suggestions with it would be um, always look at the end of the year. I'm I'm a big fan of. Uh, just planting in the fall anyway because i feel like it's not a full year jump but that next spring you're getting second mm-hmm. year growth versus if you plant it in the spring and then you're going to get less flowering plants are going to be smaller when the soil warms up a little bit it seems like those plants start to push out roots a lot sooner than when you traditionally plant yeah. so i've always loved planting in the fall that also times up when a lot of people are trying to get rid of stuff <laughs> so Places that it's just what happens left over. It's what I, 
I'm lucky enough. I live on a nursery, and I kind of get to that time of year. I look at our availability. Oh, we only have 35 plugs of this left. It's not a full flat that we're going to sell. I'm just going to grab them, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'll take them and use them myself. And <laughs> the other thing Rich brought up was, I guess, selectively using seeds. Yes. And um, with when we're selling uh, bulk seed and, and big batches of seed to people, I always say, Hey, something like Baptisia australis. Um, was it wild? Blue? I just always messed that one up. Is it wild blue indigo or blue wild indigo? It's I don't remember yeah. which, which false word it goes indigo or yeah. wild yeah. blue. False. Yeah. So um, with that, well, if you're gonna try and grow it from seed or, or put in a seed mix and see it come up, it might be anywhere from like three to ten years before you'll actually see that plant in full bloom. So that's one. It's also an expensive seed. Just buy plugs of that one, where stuff like Black Eyed Susans and, and there's tons yeah. of stuff that'll come yeah. up easily from seed. It all depends on how much chaos you're okay with. Yeah, and, and I, I think Rich Richard brought up a great point. If you use a combination of both, you mm-hmm. know, even for commercial settings based on a budget, they'll go further spacing and overseed. Yep. You know, yeah. like an average like restoration spacing is probably for herbaceous 18 inch to two feet on center, but we've seen them go three, four feet on center and overseed so they can save money and, mm-hmm. and try to get better success. So I, I think you can use a combination of things. Um, but when we, when we're done, James, when we're done the podcast, I'm going to give you the name of someone in Massachusetts that's wholesale, but will sell retail, but mm. they do it selectively. So I don't want to, I don't want to say who they are on the air, <laughs> but I'll, I'll forward you someone that, that, uh, you can say that you were talking to us mm. and, and if, see if they can help you at all. And I know they Excellent. do their, uh, they do plugs and things like that. And they're, they're based in new England. So the, the provenance is a little, little better for you. So for, for all of you is provenance key for you? Like, do you, when you're buying plants, is it hard enough to buy plants that you kind of let that go out the window a little bit, or do you try to get proper provenance when you can? Uh, for us, we sort of let that go by the wayside. Okay. Um, yeah, because it's like you say, it, it is hard enough to get this material. Um, that and and plus when we when we need to get it, we need to get it quickly, um, so we don't have a lot of time to look around. Now, it, I mean, trying to run a business, if I could probably put somebody on that and have them, you know. Put, pay somebody hourly to try to find the, the select seeds that we need from the mm-hmm. right provenance, but it, it just for us, it's you know, it's if it's native, you know, then you start there, then you start to think about natives and native cultivars, and do you use natives or you do, do you use cultivars? Mm-hmm. It's a whole. I mean, not, there's so many layers. There's so many layers oh, to yeah. it. We we could have five episodes on that. <laughs> you can drive yourself crazy. So that's the one thing that I don't, I don't pay too much attention to. Yeah, yeah. How about everyone else? Um, I would say for me, um, I have such an extensive background within the New Jersey nursery realm that supporting, um, you know, local nurseries is just important to me. And if I know that they're growing it there, as opposed to a product that I might recognize from elsewhere, um, I'm definitely more likely to get it locally, um, as opposed to, uh, not. (laughs) Okay, cool. Skip, how about you? Do you, do you worry about seed source? Um, I think that this, this past year was the first time I actually looked for seed that was like locally sourced. Okay. All right. So some of the stuff was kind of picked off wild plants like that were in abundance, you know, like a couple seeds. And then uh, other stuff was ordered from you guys and um, another small, like a really small grower in South Jersey. Okay. You can say their name. It's okay if you want to. Oh, uh, that was um, Earth First. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Natives. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Hmm. And James, how about you? Yeah, I tend to buy most of my stuff from Prairie Nursery online okay. um, just because it's they can send me as many plants as I want. They, they have a, a I'm going to do an advertisement for them. <laughs> they do a, <laughs> they, they do a guarantee on the plants, which I find yeah. so different from other places I bought plants. So, you know, they're sending them through the mail, of course, but if something looks a little punky when it shows up, you just let them know and they'll replace it. And they've been really uh, tremendous about that uh, for me. So that's, you know, they've certainly earned my business. Uh, wow. You know, a, a price will always have to win first because I'm trying to do so much area. But, yeah. but uh, all things considered, I would always recommend them for sure. That's a, that's a great perk, especially if you're on a budget. That's important, you know. So it's I can understand why that would be important for you. So we do have a couple group questions that we want to yeah. throw at you just like that one but i'm th- gonna i'm gonna cut in because rich opened up the can of worms okay. and so i'm right. blaming oh, you rich right. but what i do what do you guys <laughs> how do you guys feel about and i want everyone to be nice to each other but what do you guys feel about cultivars native ours versus the straight species uh Fran's giving all, me a glare. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't I can't stand the name Native R for starters. Yeah. Yeah. Driving, driving bananas. So <laughs> let's let's just put that to rest right away. Um again, it's you know, when you're trying to use natives as much as possible, um, you know, I try to use species as much as I can, but we will use I mean we'll use we'll use non native plants in our landscapes. I mean, but we're using ninety five percent or ninety eight percent natives. And probably 75% of those natives are species. So, you know, we try to use the species as much as possible. Now, if you look at some of the work from Penn State, um, they're saying that some of the aster, the, the, the varieties of aster, some of the some of the cultivars of the asters are actually better pollinators than some of the species. So, you know, um, again, we try to stick to species if we can, but if we use cultivars, you know, we're okay with that, but we don't, we, we try to go species first. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, actually the first two plants I, or yeah, two plants I ever ordered were from Amazon <laughs> and they were, uh, it was like a quart sized, like Viburnum Nudum Brandywine, you know, okay. once the mm-hmm. winter there. Yeah. And, uh, I think those are probably the only cultivars I have other than, uh, actually I have the Ruby Spice, the okay. Quattro, but that's really all you can only buy these kind of varieties around here. But yeah. then there's things that just are kind of silly that like the you know, odd colored echinaceas and stuff. I don't really touch that, mm-hmm. those things. Yeah, it's all right. I'm I'm gonna throw my opinion out there before I'll, I'm just gonna interject. So, at at Pinelands, we're 100 percent native from seed, except for things that you can't. They don't produce a viable seed. That's how that's how our business is. Outside of business, do I use 100 percent natives? No. Do I try to? Yes, I would love to be a purist at heart, but I'm not there. And I think sometimes it's better to at least be knowledgeable and use something that's close mm-hmm. than use something that's invasive. You know, like I'm not ignoring any of that things, but I, I try to be as close as I can, but I'm not perfect. Yep. And such is the rest of my life. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fitting. So it's, it, it kind of all follows that same thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah so no, I mean, I, I, the whole, the whole thing too about that is, if you, if you think about just using the species too, but then are you just going to use something that's native to New Jersey? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, when I look at a native right. plant, when I look at a native plant, I use, I sort of drew a line when I decided that we were going to use natives. I sort of made an a, you know, an area that I think is acceptable for our company to call a native plant. And that's like, you know, south to the Mason, Mason Dixon line mm-hmm. over to the Great Lakes, 
up to you know the the northern United States and and Canada. Now, within that range, you've got different hardiness zones. You've got different soil. I mean, you have different yeah. soils in just the state of New Jersey. So, mm-hmm. I sort of took a range of of uh, an area that I thought would be acceptable for us, and then within that range, we look at zonal hardiness and soil uh, cultural issues and things like that. But there's yeah there's a, there's a lot to it you know and, and it's difficult and we see it because of our business like we know like and we mentioned it Marcus Gray mentioned it on the podcast that we had with Audubon International that Asclepia syriaca is really overpowering in Georgia mm-hmm. they don't want to do it because yep. it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like cattails are for us here or or even an iris can be a little more aggressive mm-hmm. but you take mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. native baygrass Spartina alterniflora and you take it to California and it chokes out all their 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 native plants there so it's mm. like we see that there's there's a fine line like i said you could g- talk about the intricacies of this forever mm-hmm. and, yeah. and i don't know and there's and there's i'm not gonna say in, what's right and what's in wrong. cultivars too because you have some stuff that's really just it's vegetatively propagated from a wild selection and they found that it something well um what's the eupatorium little joe is uh is I, I only found this out yesterday. Naturally but that's occurring. A naturally occurring thing that they found and they vegetally, mm-hmm. vegetatively propagated. And mm-hmm. so that's something that actually occurred in nature where, like, um, like we were talking about before, some of those echinaceas that are just the wild colors, a lot of times those are, are forcefully crossed. And, um, and that's I, another thing I just found out yesterday was with the American Beauties program, um, which is a, a branded program for native plants, they only allow native plants that are naturally occurring so it's it's like a eupatorium little joe that qualifies where some of the uh the other stuff that's forcefully crossed or or manipulated is not allowed i I think Uh, you have to you you have to work what what fits for you even benjamin boat like who plant wise as a purist, he was like, would I love to be 100%? Yeah, but do I have air conditioning? <laughs> do I, do yeah. I use gasoline in a car? Yeah, I, I do all those things. I'm not going to go without. You know, so it's there. there's a line for everyone with what you can do. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're conscious about it, yeah. I feel. And I think a lot of them, I, I'm how I garden. I'm definitely a purist, but I think I don't hold everyone else to that standard. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people, they serve a purpose. And if that's going to get someone in the door – um, to using more native plants because they found one that's a little bit different color or those the right height. Oh, that's even better. But I think over time too. So I will share this. Everyone shared what their properties are like. I I will share this. My property, if you were to pull up, you would laugh because there is not a single plant in the front yard of my property. Now, I haven't been in the house that long. so And I know I'm moving in the, in the next year. So And that's why I haven't invested in any of that. Um, but the whole backyard is is native and wood it and there's some really cool naturally occurring things like um, Canada Mayflower and, and cinnamon fern and there's a pipeline that is is left unattended that's all soft rush and that I've been trying to seed in and give it some diver- diversity it's lurid sedge and soft rush and things like that so it's um, but I am recently engaged and and moving towards moving in with my fiance at her property which had no natives on it mm-hmm. except for some cinnamon fern and we planted a handful of things and just to see her get excited about it and slowly make that change on her own because i think initially when i approached it i, I don't know that she was as receptive but mm-hmm. now that she sees 
sweet pepper bush or Virginia sweet spire and the mm. and what it what it attracts and things like swamp milk weed and monarchs it's getting her more excited and she's more in tune to making more of a change mm-hmm. i guess so i think that everyone has to start somewhere too so sorry didn't mean to yeah. sidetrack there oh no you're fine <laughs> but how about um uh james how about you with uh do you have a preference when you're doing it yeah i mean when i'm buying plants these days i try to buy only the strict species varieties but i also i think it was richard said there has been research in various places mm-hmm. that cultivated varieties have produced you know better outcomes in some ways so i know up here dr kathy neal from unh uh, her team researched these different kinds of echinacea to see pollinator activity on you know a ton like 10 or 15 different kinds. And obviously like the double flowering yellow ones have zero pollinators on Mm -hmm. because they don't even produce uh, pollen and nectar. But the Echinacea magnus, for instance, had higher pollinator activity than the species variety, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I I think it's worth investigating how these plants interact in our own yards. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I still have some kind of legacy plants from previous owners or things I put in before I kind of changed my mind philosophically about this. And, you know, I know on, for instance, my uh, Husker Red Penstemon back gets higher ac- pollinator activity than the straight species one that I planted, and you just never you never know, right? <laughs> so we're all citizen scientists out here trying to figure this out as we go, and I think it's worth considering all the options, even though now like I'll, I'll err on the side of just trying to get the actual native species just because I like that idea, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't rule out science producing cool things that can contribute positively to the environment as well no and it's fun to see mm. the interactions like we we keep talking about doug talamy i always think of um dr dick lighty at university of delaware too um back in the 80s and 90s he had uh on his property a, like a stream that went through the property and one side was all natives and one side was all cultivars mm-hmm. so that you could see the difference huh. in the interaction between the two and and yeah. he was on the you know and he's a a colleague of, of doug talamy so the the yeah. two of those kind of there was um a grad student at university of delaware a couple of years ago uh owen cass and i i don't know what happened to him oh I, I do a little bit i guess okay. he was working on the um he's helping out mount cuba with their trial gardens okay. on i think specifically mm. monarda fistulosa i guess he had some kind of illness and he had to end up i think he withdrew from school for okay. a little bit oh. but and i don't know if he ever finished the study maybe he listens and then he can yeah. let us oh, know that would be awesome <laughs> but um he gave a presentation i want to say it was at millersville probably four or five years ago and he was talking about all the the pollinator studies on these varieties but he was not just limiting or boiling it down to just pollinators. He was saying, oh, this variety was way better for butterflies, but it was significantly worse for bees and it was okay for flies. And he had like these circles with points on them and it was like, oh, but this was really good for moths. And it was by variety or by cultivar, he was able to show, and he was like, this was the straight species was kind of well-rounded. And then, oh, but this like the whatever Monarda, I don't know the names. Yeah. But um, this one was really good for for honeybees, and this yeah. one was really good for for this thing. And he like boiled it down to each insect type and yeah. pollinator type, and it was really fascinating Mount seeing Cuba, all that too. Mount Cuba does great work too, and and Dr. Lighty was I think the yeah. uh, the the original uh, director of Mount mm-hmm. Cuba before it was open to the public. So it's you can see where a lot of that comes yes. from. Yeah. So it's it's interesting their trials and a lot of people follow them follow them. yeah they oh, really yeah. do it's 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 huge we and i think we've talked to talked to them about mm-hmm. having them on the podcast yep. too mm-hmm. so 
we may could I, head. Can I throw way. something out there real quick? Yeah, yeah, of course. Hey, something while we're talking about quantifying pollinators and whatnot, something I've always wanted to do. So if there's anybody in your audience that listens, um, or if you guys know anybody that might be interested in this, I would love to be able to work with somebody who would go to our properties before we renovate them. Okay. Do, do a study of what's on the property and what's there after. Right. So yeah. document, document the plant material that's on site, document, mm -hmm. document what, if any pollinators they find, and then the difference in a, a native landscape versus yeah. that, that I, negative a, uh, ecology landscape. I, I was going to say, so. you could probably talk to Dr. Handel at, at Rutgers mm -hmm. and I'm sure a grad student would be able to do yeah. that as, as a graduate. And there's, Jesus. um, um, Blaine Rothhauser does his oh. moth studies. Yeah. So this is, this is going to take us way off track, yeah. but this is pretty cool. And I might have even brought it up at one time before. And Blaine is with GZA. Uh, GZA Environmental, yeah. So he actually, I think he's trying to get it approved by the DP. So it's actually a, a measurable metric that they'll use to assess site and site rehabilitation. But he does these moth surveys and he basically has a moth night, um, sits out there with a tarp and a light behind it. Um, like a six pack of beer and puts on like a, a, a baseball game yeah. and he sits out there all night and every 15 minutes, half an hour, hour goes by, he'll go and check that tarp with a light and see what moths are there. And what he's found is you can really score how well a, a site or an ecosystem is doing based on how many moths show up, the diversity of the moths. And he can even tell you what kind of plants are present because there's certain moths that require like, i think one of them ones was cottonwood and he's yeah. like they didn't plant any cottonwoods on this site after they did it, like after when they did the restoration but there has to be a cottonwood somewhere nearby because this is a moth that only it requires yeah. cottonwood to be alive yeah so if this moth here there's a cottonwood somewhere around here and um really fascinating studies he's talked about it with me a couple times and you can see the charts and he's like oh this was before they started this is when they were like a quarter way through, halfway through, three quarters of the way through, and all the way through, and it's just like a straight line up, going, going to the yeah. moon with how how much better it's getting over time. So we're probably gonna have to follow up with each of you afterwards, yeah. Richard. I'll make sure I get you Dr. Handel's information yeah. if you want to reach okay. out to him. He can probably yeah, it, it would be great because they always have grad students. We work with mm -hmm. a bunch of his grad students right. for the ecological and evolution department um, yep. on projects. So I'm sure that would. I, I think that would be a great pairing, yep. probably. Cool. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Hey, everyone. This is Fran. And Tom. And we're about halfway through the episode right now. Yeah, so. this is a long one. This is the intermission. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if you guys want to take a little break, you're, you're tired of hearing our voices, we advise that you maybe take a little pause right now. Now's and time. then And uh, then... Then you can come back and join us when you're ready. All right, everyone, stop. Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and follow us on social. All right, welcome back. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you actually came back. You I'm glad, glad you came back for the second half of this. So let's uh, let's get right back into it. Uh, it is part two of our listener Meet Our Listeners episode. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. This is another group question. What <clears throat> going? You've all made the conscious decision to go native. What is the most difficult part of that for all of you in doing that? And it, we may have touched on some of this stuff. It may be finding material. It could be just the cost of it. But what what would you say the most difficult 
difficult part of it is. I know when we talked to Benjamin Vote, it was the perception of his neighbors. <laughs> I think not. Mm-hmm. It wasn't what he was doing. It was what everyone else thought of him for doing it because uh, he was in an area that totally didn't didn't appreciate mm. that. So, just curious, what the the biggest obstacle is for each of you? Um, I guess something that we have a hard time with here, and Matthew and I were trying to come up with you know answers to this question because there truthfully haven't been too many um issues in in going native or wanting that to be here but i guess weeds is our biggest (laughs) issue here and and how to how to treat them i mean we're we spend hours you know hand weeding and um that's just really our our biggest issue but in wanting to be more native our garden looks more natural and we're just we're kind of okay with the weeds, <laughs> so there really hasn't been too many issues here on our end. That's that's a we hear that a lot actually, mm-hmm. uh, weeds, and that's that's a good question. I don't know if Richard, if you have a uh, advice for that. Um, well, yeah, I mean you need to plant densely. That's a, another reason why I like to use plugs because you can put them close together, and obviously. What you need to be careful of is what your companion plants are. Like if you put a physostesia, uh, two different cultures, but if you put physostesia next to Tiarella, the physostesia is just going to eat it up. So, you know, you have to be careful what you're planting together. But when you plant plants and plant them tightly together, then they're going to, you know, they're going to grow homogeneously and work together. You're going to cover that ground. Then you're going to not have weed issues. If you do need to spray, what we found out through all our work trying to not using Roundup is uh, get your pencils ready because this stuff works. <laughs> Twenty <laughs> percent vinegar. I'm giving out a trade secret. Right. I shouldn't do this. Twenty percent right. vinegar. Uh, in, this goes in a three-gallon backpack sprayer. Straight vinegar, no water. Um, two ounces of yucca extract. Two ounces of orange oil. And what we're going to, I learned from uh, Mike Nadu from Connecticut just recently that um, what what he puts in his vinegar solution is salt flour. Um, and that helps the vinegar and the acids and everything else sort of translocate to the roots and it actually starts to kill the roots a little bit. Um, so I have some of that ordered and we're going to be throwing that in our mix probably next week to see how that works. But that's, that, that's worked for us as good wow. as, as any, wow. any glyphosate product that you, we use. So you really are giving trade yeah. secrets out. <laughs> that now, is did, stellar did, information. Yeah. Did you develop how, that what, on your what, own? Or? How, many, how many people listen to this? Just, quite a few. Just us, right? Quite a few. Just yeah. Us, right? <laughs> <laughs> like three, four. Like that. Um, well, for, that's the thing. That's the thing about when you start doing things and like this conversation we're having. It's it's really people are really open to talking. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons why I never really got involved in any associ- in any of the trade associations in New Jersey. Now, the NJNLA and NJLCA have come a long way, and I love working with them, and I love talking with them, and speaking to the people that 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 are members of their associations. Um, but and I'm not going to go off on that tangent, but that it, it, the great thing about doing things organically and meeting people that do things organically and sustainably and, and ecologically is we talk about it and we're mm-hmm. open about it and we share things because there's a handful of contractors in the state of New Jersey that we always go back and forth. So for example, the, the vinegar, you know, we, I started using 20% and that wasn't working well. So we started using 40%. I talked to another contractor. He started using some orange oil and then we used yucca extract. And then, so you just start throwing things back and forth and everybody's trying something new. And eventually wow. you, you land on something that, that really works. 
Um, and that's that's one of the great things about doing this is mm-hmm. the people that you meet and the openness of, of the other people that are willing to, you know, they're willing to share their, their information. That's what's that's I think is is what is really starting to, to push this movement forward is the openness of people to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's nice that everyone's sharing, you know, and that's yep. you, you want, you know, for, for how competitive the industry can be, we're really friendly with our competitors. Yeah. <laughs> we, yep. we actually like there's a few that we hang out, you know, like we, mm-hmm. we send each other stuff like stuff like that. Like we're actually like very friendly with our competitors and we share like there's only so much you can share some some things are a little proprietary, you know, on mm-hmm. some things, but we share a lot with our competitors. Mm-hmm. They come, they see how we do things. We go there, we see how they do things and what we can pick up from each other. Cause mm-hmm. everyone does things a little bit differently and they uh, have something that works for them that yeah. may not work for you, but, but no, it's pretty, you know, we're all in it together. Um, <laughs> and that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. And, we, we're all trying nothing, to help each other, you know, and there's nothing that's really secret. No, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> you know, it's like, if, if you're putting down, let's say you're putting down papers, you know, if you're going to be five or 10% different than the other contractor, you know, yeah. there's not, nobody's doing anything to, unless of course they're skipping, skipping steps and just putting down dust and putting the papers on top and not putting the base down. Yeah. But you know, everybody knows what everybody's doing. There really are no secrets. So why keep it bottled up? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I don't see any point to it. That's why, that's why I like to do my talks. That's why I love yeah. to present yeah. because I love to talk about what we do. And I do by doing that. I hope that, you know, something it sparks somebody and somebody else to make them mm-hmm. sort of take that path that we're starting to take, you know? One of the things that we've learned that even if you know how someone's doing something, it doesn't mean you can do it either. Yeah. Cause right. we've had, right. you know, there's a couple things that we specialize in and we have competitors that have things that they specialize in. We've shown mm-hmm. them how we do it. They've shown us how they mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. We can't replicate each other's yep. success. Right. <laughs> so right. it's, right. you know, it's just how it is sometimes. And I'll, but, I'll mm-hmm. even throw on top of there that, um, Oh man, I just lost everything I was thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Well, you know, give yourself a second. We can yeah. ask Skip yeah. or James if they have um, what your biggest obstacles are. Uh, yeah, mine. Mine would actually probably be weeds as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. And, then uh, we're touching on availability. Yeah. Okay. James, so, have uh, a. Okay. No, go ahead. Sure. I'm sorry, Skip. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you were done. I apologize. Oh, I actually wanted to ask Rich if how he would get rid of a whole bunch of uh, creeping Charlie because my yard is covered in that stuff. Well, that's another trade secret. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, is, is I'm that picking in, creeping Charlie out of my yard right now. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, oh, my my yard is like a composition of weed. Multitasking. Are you um, – is that is that in your lawn or in your beds? Uh, it's it's uh, mostly the lawn, but it's also, you know, trying to get in the bed. Yeah. So yeah, we use a we use what's called a bioherbicide for that. It's a chelated iron product. Um, I don't know that you can find that, and it's only available um, wholesale. I don't think there's a key. There there might be. You might be able to find something nowadays. I don't know in a big box store. It's a chelated iron product. It's got some other stuff that we put in it um, that works pretty well. Um, but as a homeowner, I'm not sure that there's a whole lot you can do about it outside of outside of you know spraying it and starting over. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, no problem. Well, that's that's good. James, how about you? Sorry. Sure, I'll jump in. Yeah, the thing I struggle with sometimes, and Skip kind of alluded to this earlier, which is when you're growing these plants that you don't find in nurseries, getting 
information online about how they should be grown is actually pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. know, like your nursery, the person who works in my local nursery can tell me all about the best conditions for, you know, echinacea, let's say, or uh, rudbeckia, things like that. But when it comes to the bone sets or the great blue lobelia or things like that, there's no one that I, it's like around here that I can say, hey, what, you know, what exactly do they mean when they say, you know, moist to medium soil for this plant, right? Mm-hmm. So when it comes to growing these natives that you just don't see in gardening centers, and then they also aren't spoken about much online, what's the best path for learning how to grow those? Or is it a simple trial and error? Or is there a, you know, good you, rules of thumb that you try to follow? You know, I think a lot of that is trial and error. You know, it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's, you know, for us to learn how to grow low bush blueberry from seed took a long time and it's a lot of trying different things and and figuring it out and and with propagators you know because so much of it's their livelihood once they figure it out they're not not necessarily always willing to share because Mm -hmm. they figured something out that that's that's going to be their livelihood but are are any of you familiar with wetland indicator statuses no okay not so much so some yes some no so wetland indicator status i think i believe it was the usda uh was sanctioned by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. I I may be reversing those, but to go out and basically catalog wetland plants and the percentage of their occurrence naturally in wetlands. So every native plant, if it's a wetland plant or even if it's an upland plant, has a classification, and it goes from upland to... um, Obligate. Uh, Yeah, yeah, from from upland to obligate, but it's like... Facultative up. Yeah, it's it's upland, facultative upland, facultative, facultative wetland, wetland, or no, obligate, obligate. obligate. So, and each one of those is a percentage. So if it's an obligate, 99% of the times it's found in wetlands. If it's Mm -hmm. a facultative wetland, I think it's 66 to 99. So if you know the, if you know the, the wetland indicator status, it's going to give you kind of a key of, of what type of environment they want so if it's found in wetlands 99 percent of the time it likes more of a mucky soil it likes to be saturated you know if it's a facultative which means 33 to 66 percent of the time it could be dry it could be wet they're probably the easier ones for you to grow because they take a range of conditions you know an upland like a little blue stem needs to be dry you know that they're they're found in sandy soil with low nutrients or no nutrients so you don't have to over fertilize them they get deep rooted because they're looking for soil, so they just need to be wet, um, but not overly wet. Like mm-hmm. they, they need to be dry, but they need to, to – it doesn't mean they like to, no water. So mm-hmm. just knowing that will help you pick out a little of those conditions of, of how to grow those plants. I don't know if I helped you with that at all, but you, you figure upland plants are grown where it's dry with a drier soil, so maybe more sand. Uh, better drainage wetland plants are heavier soils mm-hmm. uh, that like it more wet so that might and help where would you. you look to find that status you just look it up on like plants.usda.gov or that, something like that that's yep. it and it will yep. actually give you the uh, wetland indicator status per region so you pick mm-hmm. your region because yeah, yeah. uh, certain plants can be a different wetland status based yeah, in on the, the northeast region. they might be facultative in the mid-atlantic they might be facultative wet it, they don't usually swing wow. too too wildly, but they will change from region to region. Yeah. So. All right, that's a good tip. So yeah. and, and, I, I and something there? There, there, there you go. So every every native plant has a wetland indicator status, unless you may look something up and it's going to say ni, 
which basically means it's never ever found <laughs> in in a wetland. Like an upland plant, still one percent of the time could be found in a wetland, mm. but an NI just means it's not a wetland plant. It's it's always in an upland, like a hundred percent of the time. So that that at least will help you map out, especially when you're planting too. If you know the wetland indicator mm-hmm. status and you have a dry bed, but you're looking at something that's an obligate you know it may not be the best choice Mm -hmm. you know so it will help you have better success with your planting as well as your growing so how's that wow i actually i actually sounded like i knew something (laughs) you guys are making me look good you're throwing me softballs um i I remember what i was going to say before and that was it was in regards to to rich when you were saying um giving away trade secrets and all that one of the things i found is this space is so small and I think there's there's a lot more people who are interested in it from a, a consumer perspective than there is people who have the product to actually sell. And um, I think every person who kind of hops on that train and becomes another uh, producer, in a sense, or, or joins another landscaper says, hey, I'm going to do organic lawn care too. It just makes that exposure of this industry even bigger and yeah, the the you have competition, but the pie got just so got so much bigger by their entry that your business is going to grow too. Yeah, you know, we we know that the listeners of this podcast are novices, homeowners and competitors and mm-hmm. customers. It it runs the whole range. Like Richard is a customer of ours and I don't think too many homeowners know about Richard and yeah. and what he does should be known and hopefully this gets him more business but all of you talking about some of your concerns we have listeners that are garden centers and if they know hey there's an opportunity for us to meet this market and there's people willing we're hoping this will help change things yeah. and as- that's 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 an interesting that's something that uh, that that is a huge I think there's a big I'm not I'm not quite sure how to how to put it. Um, a huge disconnect, I think, between hmm. the homeowners, contractors, and if you want to talk about something that what what's difficult, this is probably the thing: the disconnect between contractors who don't know what organic or ecological mm-hmm. is, homeowners who don't know what organic ecological is, garden centers, retail, wholesale that don't sell native or cater anything organic. Like you want something for your lawn that's going to take care of Creeping Charlie. There's nothing there that you can get. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that, you know, I talked about how things are moving forward. That's probably one of the biggest things that is keeping it back is, is nobody really knows what, from a contractor standpoint, nobody really knows what we do. Mm. You know, Yeah. yeah, it's organic. It's organic, but what's organic? You know, I mean, that's that that term has been so muddied up. Yeah, that's why that's why I, don't, I actually the term organic lawn, land care. I prefer the term ecological land care because it's more of an ecological approach. And the organic part of it is the application side. So yeah. it, it's it just gets so much. And I think there's a big disconnect there. And at some point mm-hmm. that that has to sort of meld together, I think, in order for this to really and, start to move and, at, yeah. at any pace. And we're hoping to bridge that disconnect. Like I un- I actually understand the garden center situation. Garden center is not what they were 30 years ago. Um, there weren't – well, there were, but not quite the same. Like when you have like big chain stores where the nurseries actually go in a lot of times and actually maintain their stock in that chain store because they don't get paid until they scan it at the register. Mm-hmm. So if a nursery's putting plant material into a big chain, 
they're not getting paid until someone actually buys it. So they're maintaining it themselves. So garden centers can't compete with that. And plus the prices. So their staffs aren't as big. It's hard for them to have someone knowledgeable in every aspect. But it does open the niche for someone to specialize mm. in only that and fill that need. And, and we see that like uh, – Oh, why can't I think of like Toad Shade oh, or yeah. what's Jared? Where's Jared? Uh, Wild Ridge. Wild Ridge. And, and, and then Earth First, which was brought yeah. up before. You know, which are all great, great outlets for, for people that don't know about them. And I love all these these native plant groups on on Facebook where people are sharing this information mm-hmm. to say, hey, if you're in this area, go here. They'll help you. And all of you, uh, the part of the reason that we want it, we started with with the four of you is that you're all very vocal on the Facebook mm-hmm. group and, and in a good way and, and share information and, and, and welcome everyone, which I appreciate. And then between the four of you, you mm-hmm. cover a vast, yeah. <laughs> like a, a very vast um, segment. Portion of, of the segment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I do want to ask the, the next question. Wow. I'm really rambling today. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, for all of you, and I'd like you to, to each answer this. If you had to give a tip to any of our listeners that would like to go native on their properties, um, what's what's the one tip you would give everyone to start out with? Or, or just something that was hard, took a long time for you to learn, and you'd like to share that information? Anything like that, if you could give any any person that came up to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this at my house, what would what would you tell them? I, I could I could very I could very easily say that go slow okay mm-hmm. because because where if you if you if you have a lot of property like Roz you got three acres and I heard two acres and you have a lot of property out there if you're a novice and you just start tearing things up you're gonna end up you know nature nature does not like a vacuum mm-hmm. and once you start to pull things out it's gonna find stuff to go in it and it may not be what you want um, you know, so it's, and that's the same with, with organic turf too. It's the same thing. You, you have to take your time and understand what you're doing and you need to be thought out. You can't just go ripping stuff out just for the sake of ripping it out. I think you need to have a plan. I think that's probably the most important thing. Richard, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Invasives love disturbance. Yep. And once you start that disturbance, that's just opening that up. So great, great point. Thank you. Uh, Roz, how about you? You want to go next? Um... I would like to say that for anybody who would like to garden, I believe that going native is the first step, but just into gardening um, in this year more than ever, there's been nothing that has brought me more peace of mind and my soul than just sitting out here with my plants and, and all the critters that they invite. It's just been, it's been a more peaceful year for me almost more than any other year just because of this garden that we've created back here. So the push for gardening, the push for nature, the push for natives, and just the connectedness that comes with all of it is just um, all my inspiration to to garden and to share it with everybody. So yeah, That is another uh, great, great point. Connectivity is, is the one thing yeah. that I think draws all of us to this. So it's you know it's sometimes you can get pulled away and 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 get a little disconnect but but uh once you have this 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 year has definitely brought me closer uh my connection closer with nature Mm -hmm. definitely that's that's how we've spent most of our most of our summer uh skip you want to go oh yeah so i would just say to to figure out your site conditions like what wants to go there okay Mm -hmm. um 
So one way that I would do that, like, is a just Google like soil jar test. You just take like a soil sample and shake it up in a jar of water, and it mm -hmm. settles out into layers. You can tell what kind of soil you have. Yeah. Like sand, sand loam, and clay. And then uh, <clears throat> I'll actually I found this app called Rocked R O C K D. Okay. And uh, it, it has like the geology of your area. Right, so I can go to a park two miles away and look around and say, these plants grow here. But when I look at this map, actually that park is all sand. Mm -hmm. And my house has like a huge clay formation under it. So those those sand plants are not gonna like my clay. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of look at that. It's a pretty easy thing to do. I, I, I do. Skip, I, I swear, just talking to you, I, I, I think you'd have a background in this, this yeah. industry. Yeah. Maybe you missed your calling. <laughs> You know, it's funny because like I work, I actually work in a laboratory. I'm a, uh, a fish technician, and so I, I, I scan slides all day basically in, in a microscope, and I just have these like kind of podcasts on all the time, and I just pick up inform information from all over the place. Mm -hmm. But and I, I'll just kind of <laughs> look stuff up when I get home, and kind of wow. go further into it sometimes. But I think you're 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 bringing a scientific perspective about it and understanding why it works. You're not just mm -hmm. planting things because it's native or they look pretty. You're, you have a complete understanding of why you're planting it and where and what it's doing, yeah. which is And, and actually, which is another thing I want to say is I'll credit a lot of that to uh, the Larry Wiener book, uh, uh -huh. Garden yes. Revolution. Yeah. That's actually how I heard about your nursery because he mentions you guys down there, uh, mm -hmm. Don Kinesic, actually. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Throwing everything from uh, straight seeds and stuff like that. Larry, Larry's awesome. Larry's yeah, awesome. Really it's, is. it's, I, you know, I, I was just talking about him the other day cause he was one of my customers when I was just starting out in the industry going back 31 years ago. <laughs> so, and it's, it's awesome to see how, how much of a name he's made for himself and how much good work he's done. Um, he's a great, he's a great teacher. That's mm -hmm. a, I'm glad you found that book. Actually, he's, he's good, yeah. but the, and, and the soil is everything kind of starts with the soil. And we mentioned that with, with the Jersey Friendly Yards podcast, um, that that's always a great place to start. And yep. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. That was a great. And I just, I just have one more thing too. Yeah, yeah, please. For uh, for James, because he was saying like, how do I know where this plant wants to grow? You can. Um, what I do sometimes is I'll go on like iNaturalist. And uh, so one of the ones I did was uh, what was it? Um, go through, Tephrosia. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I looked that up and I saw it grows in Whitesburg. So I just took a trip down there to, to kind of look around and see if I could find it. So I mean that's just like a fun way to get out and uh, explore new places and then see mm -hmm. like what the habitat actually looks like. Yeah, we, I use that yes. app all the time. Yeah, I I do too. And you <laughs> yeah. you know we've actually talked about it when we're trying to find seed sources for things. Mm -hmm. Like we want to grow when we want to grow something. It's not just we buy liners and we need to find a seed source that yeah. we're allowed to collect from. And yeah. we've we've actually talked about. You know, hey, where's it growing? <laughs> Look at iNaturalist. Let's yep. see where it's growing naturally and, and see, you know, wow. do the same thing. Check around, see what's going on. Is it someplace yeah. that, you know, do we know a similar location like that mm -hmm. that, that we have permission to collect from? Yeah. Now we gave one away one of our trade yeah, secrets, there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're all sharing. Yeah, but, no, it's I use it all the time just uh, figure out. Like, I know what we grow really well, but when I get outside of that, um, it's either confirm what I think it is or, or just to, if I have no clue, just to look it up. All right. James, how about you? Saving the best for last. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is not the most profound uh, scientific insight, but I would say don't underestimate the importance of a small transition in your yard. You know, mm -hmm. like a kind of a basic example would be if you plant a little bit of milkweed, you'll probably see a monarch butterfly, but there are 
much less charismatic examples than that that we've noticed once we start paying closer attention. So, you know, there really are, you know, for every plant out there, there could be a specialist pollinator that you don't even know about, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, and those things, they rely on, you know, there's great work done over at the Beecology Project. I mm-hmm. uh, can't recall their website offhand, but it's Dr. Robert Jagir, and he talks a lot about how there are a lot of these specialist pollinators that are basically unstudied, um, you know, only barely classified in some cases, and they really rely on some of these native plants that used to be here in quite a great degree of abundance and now aren't there as often. So, you know, you just put one, you know, for me, it was Monarda punctata. I started seeing these, you know, odd wasps that I had never seen before, and it turned out that they were uh, special specialist pollinators on those plants or, mm-hmm. you know, the, the common bone sets or these plants that you don't see as often in the nurseries but that have great value and you don't need to plant two acres to provide uh, serious ecological value so don't be afraid to start small that's yeah. my that's my big advice now that's all and and, and you make a good point too it is i kind of relate it to those pictures that just look like jumble but when you stare at it the the image behind it comes into focus and it, it really is like that there's a lot going on that you tend not to see until you're in mm-hmm. tune with it and sometimes it takes different things to get people in tune with it and sometimes you just have to start small uh, like, like I'm doing at my fiance's house. It's, uh, the, I started off very small to see how she, how would she would respond. And it's been, we're, I mm-hmm. think we're going to, we're, we're getting close to going full bore. Yeah. So, so and just the, I have that ecology website actually pulled up on my computer right now. And, um, it's, uh, edu. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. James. Thank yeah. you. So we always end this. You know, I got to tell you guys, before we called you, we were saying that we'd be happy if we got like 45 minutes. So we're we're about an yeah, hour I guess and a we, half. You, we said we'd let you ask us questions. So we does everyone have time for us? Yeah. <laughs> do you still questions? have do you still have time? Because we typically ask what your native plants are, what your favorite native plants are, and if you have questions for us. So I'd love anyone have to go? No. Not yet. All right. We're good. All right. So. Do you have questions for us? What are uh, we're? I think we're pretty accessible for the most part during mm-hmm. the Facebook group, anyway. But if do you, is there anything specifically that you'd like to ask us? Well, geez, I already asked a couple of questions, so I'll, I'll defer here. All right, but, uh, All right. <laughs> I can come up with something if they. <laughs> No, well, out of out yeah. of curiosity, yeah. um, how far does Pinelands get to travel in their seed collections? We we stay pretty local, to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost all in New Jersey now. We we do have a former yeah. employee. Uh, we we had a nursery in Virginia at one point. We mm-hmm. had a, a former employee that does collect some Virginia seed for us. We have a location up in New York State in the Adirondacks, mm-hmm. and we do some collection up there. But it's it's kind of minuscule yeah. compared to our collection efforts in I would New say Jersey. most of it's within 25 miles except for ah. Spartina Altanoflora. We collect from multiple locations because we typically want to send when we're sending plants to these saltmar restorations, we want to have the closest. plants from as close of a sea or typically we want it from a, the same wow. waterway. Yeah, so um, yes. if, if if you're in in New York City and you're getting uh, smooth cord grass from us, we're going to give you the northern New Jersey seed source. Mm-hmm. If you're in Maryland, we're going to give you the southern New Jersey seed source. But our our customer base, we're really only shipping from Boston to Washington, D.C. Yeah. 
you know, and and it's mm. it's along the coast. Like we're not going much further west than Philadelphia or or like wow. those surrounding. Like it's Montgomery, Delaware County, Chester County. Like, not saying that we don't ever ship outside of those areas, but once you get further west than that, it's a different. You know, you're going from coastal plain to Piedmont or, or coastal plain to Appalachian, and it's mm-hmm. a different plant mix. Um, you know, we tend to do yeah. – even within our range, all of our competitors, we all have different niches. So we specialize in wetland and small, salt marsh, um, but we don't do a lot of wooded, wooded wetland or, or – or wooded perennials or a lot of upland we have some but mm-hmm. like there's there's nurseries that specialize in in wooded perennials uh, or shaded perennials or or upland mm-hmm. so it's it's really like a different we have our niche which is basically outer coastal yeah. plain and intercoastal plain and that's not saying that there's there's no crossover there is but um yeah it's we don't ship you know and and because it's from seed that provenance really like some mm-hmm. of that you're stretching the stretching the the boundaries a little bit but yeah we don't ship as far as you would think um i know some landscape architects get lead points for purchasing plants within a certain range of the job Mm -hmm. site do are they um by any chance specking provenance for their 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 seeds and their plants and saying that it must be from this area i mean yeah yeah Yeah. you know it's depending on the area and it's difficult especially when you know, a salt marsh project could could require half a million plugs, um, and not everyone can handle that. But we get most of the time it's like a fifty mile to a hundred mile range. The seed had to have been collected mm-hmm. from the site that's being restored. Um, in, in some wow. areas where it's harder, we've seen it go up to two hundred miles. Yeah, like two hundred, two hundred. And we've seen miles. some designers try and keep it even closer, but usually it's not practical to keep it much closer than yeah. that. You know, it's one. It, one right. of the funny things is, and I'll I'll share this uh, behind the scenes. So New Jersey was trying. I don't know if they still are. Could Tommy were involved in this? Still are. Can I bring this up? The legislation about native plants. What, what legislation about, about native plants? No, I don't about even remember. where it was. Um, they wanted if you're buying native plants, and it was for a job in New Jersey, they had to have been grown in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... we were actually getting involved saying that's really not the point. You're missing the point. Like, mm-hmm. it's not where they're grown because someone could take seed from California, ship it to New Jersey, and grow it there. And you're really not mm-hmm. ecologically serving the purpose. It shouldn't be grown in New Jersey. It yeah, be... they, they want to create, like, a Jersey Natives program, how yeah. they're similar to, like, Jersey Fresh and, yeah. and those kind of things. Yeah. And, um, and I guess Jersey grown for nurseries, they want to do Jersey Natives. And um, I think it was actually the – legislator just misspoke a little bit when he said that because if you actually look at the legislation behind it it doesn't really mention being grown in new jersey as much as being native in new jersey but it also doesn't really mention where the seed came from as well yeah but um but yeah that was a big thing and fran did a great video on it that's a lot of plants while they might be native to new jersey well they're also native in florida and a lot of other areas sometimes that's that doesn't work as well in a of planting when you bring stuff up or bring stuff down to certain areas. Well, we mentioned wetland indicator status, something that's mm-hmm. an obligate in New Jersey may only be a facultative in the Midwest um, and can't handle those same conditions. So it's, yeah. although I was debunked because I said salt marsh in Nebraska and who <laughs> yeah. knew that there's salt marshes yeah. in, in Nebraska? I had no idea. <laughs> but but uh, No, and that's another really sticky subject where um, 
where I've seen with when it comes to seed source, I've seen people get so they want to have it like down to the county level where oh it needs to be local to county, and then you have other signs say hey it's even smaller than that. It's like individual populations. That population might only occupy a hundred yard space, well, and so it really doesn't matter because you can never get that well, local. I'll, I'll give a perfect thing. example, uh, Richard. The organization that you brought up in Princeton. Um, at, at the beginning of the podcast, what was the organization you, you brought up? Are you there? It wasn't the it Sustainable was, Princeton, was it? I think Sustainable yeah, Princeton. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the uh, Sustainable Princeton, um, they don't typically buy that many plants from us because they want it closer. They want the provenance mm-hmm. closer than what we have because uh, a lot of times we're southern Burlington County, so they were like, nah, not really what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. So it's... You know, and you think Princeton's a, a twenty-five minute yeah, car ride from us, and it's 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 not close enough for them. So, well, so any other questions for us? Did we ramble too long? Did we lose everyone? <laughs> Ross was the only one. How, that how hard is it? How hard is it for you guys to bring on like new species? Like, say you want to bring on a new species. Species? Do you have to work with like the state and like a botanist to go collect that, or do you just kind of have like a avenue it, you already? It depends. It, it depends. You know, as a the state doesn't really allow us to collect seed on their lands. They don't, they, you know, there are, there are conditions where Mm. you can apply for permits and things like that, Mm -hmm. but they don't want, like it's, it's, it's frowned upon that you're making money off of collecting something for Mm -hmm. free off of state land. Um, So for us, when we want to bring it into production, we kind of have to find a, um, a colony where we can collect from yeah. that we're yeah. allowed to collect from legally. Um, mm-hmm. Now we work with a lot of organizations like the New Jersey Conservation Foundation allows us. Uh, they have a huge uh, Franklin Parker Preserve in Southern Burlington County, mm-hmm. and we're one of five people allowed on the property. So it's we have some good relationships that way. But it's it's hard sometimes because if we can't find a seed source, yeah. our our catalog actually rotates on a yearly basis. Like mm-hmm. right now, swamp swamp. Uh, Swamp oak, swamp white oak isn't really producing a lot of acorns. We're, we won't have a crop. Like if we can't collect the seed, so we may go a year or two without certain crops because mm-hmm. we we just can't can't locate seed or the or the the colonies aren't producing mm-hmm. good seed. Yeah. But I guess time frame wise, it would be it's potentially as fast as six months. <laughs> yeah. But it could take up to for us to get if we if when we're selling seed, well we have to find the seed source then bulk up that stock of seeds so we're then growing plants collecting the seed off them and keep growing plants until you have a large enough supply of seed that we can grow enough plants to put it out in a field where we're growing 6,000 12,000 18,000 plants at the time then collecting the seed off that so that can take five years yeah to get to where we can get enough plants to collect seed off of well that we can and, sell it and we've actually had organizations provide us with seed yeah. new york city mm-hmm. parks has done that where, where they've given us seed but sometimes even from seed like if they want a, a certain size woody plant we're, we're, for a contractor or like that's three years down the road mm-hmm. it takes a year in a seed bed transplanted to a tubeling for a year potted up for a year it's so it's you know some of the woodies it, it could take a few years before we could get into it. Some of the herbaceous it could take mm-hmm. it could take a year. You know mm-hmm. depending on the stratification cycle of the seed, because wild collecting is not like you're getting something that was already in storage. Yep. You're you're kind of going through that whole stratification process. Any any other questions? 
No, but I might have a lead on Swamp White Oaks for you in New Jersey because there were some at the camp where I used to work as a oh, kid. So oh, I'll oh, send you that information. Oh, right. I, I would appro- we'll, we'll trade information. You'll I'll give you that. Because really yeah. <laughs> he's been, yeah, he, it's the last couple years just that the oaks have declined uh, steadily in mast uh, production. So it's. Yeah, we had a stand of them there back in the day, but, you know, that was 20 years ago. But, you know, they take really good care of the land. So I'll look into it and I'll let you know. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. So this is the point of the podcast where we ask everyone their favorite native plant. We have all native plant lovers, so this should be good. So, Rich, are you still there? I am, yeah. Okay, awesome. We'll let you go first. Your favorite native plant. Uh, I have three if I can. Yes, please. (laughs) Please do. Perennial shrub and tree. Oh, awesome. Uh, All right. Uh, perennial is Eupatorium hyssopfolium. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, shrub is Aeschylus parviflora. Oh, nice. And the tree is Quercus alba. And I know you also mm-hmm. ask people about birds too. So, and I don't know. I'm not sure if it's a native. I just love them. So I'm going wood thrush. I, I, don't I believe know. they're native. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna I'm... say I don't know my my bird. Even though I'm I'm a novice there's, birder. There's a native plant nursery in West Virginia called. Wood thrush, wood thrush native plants. So I'm assuming <laughs> native bird. Let's let's but, go with it. Let's go. All right, with it. all right, awesome. Those are great choices. All right, Roz, you're up. Um, I'm gonna pick three, two. Okay. Uh, shrub. I'm gonna pick Clethra olifolia. Okay. Uh, perennial. I'm yep. Perennial. I'm gonna say you uh, pick nanthemum. Okay. Um, oh, good one. Good nice. one. Good one. Very yep. nice. And then tree. I pick Cornus florida. Okay. Nice. Very nice. I love these choices. All right, Skip, go ahead. Uh, I think I'm just going to – I'll just pick one. All Not right. That it's, I don't know if it's even my favorite, but um, – <laughs> It's your favorite at the moment, yeah. It's just something it's your favorite that, right now. It's kind of cool because, you know, I always see it around, but it needs, like, special soil and, and mycorrhizae, fungi, and all that stuff. It's the uh, spotted wintergreen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay. I ever see that growing in, a, like, the forest floor. Mm-hmm. It's 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 fun when you get to see it. There's so many things that you don't expect to see, or yeah, and and you make a good point. There's so many things that are rare uh, species that we can't grow because there's certain relationships they have with yeah. other plants yeah. and and mycorrhizae that we just can't, you know. And and we incorporate mycorrhizae into to all of our soil too, but it's mm. sometimes you just can't replicate it. But that's a great choice. All right, James. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with another one that I don't see in nurseries either. It's uh, the Lysimachia borealis, it's the star flower, just because it's so neat to find when you're out and about. And I don't know, there's something charming to me about woodland uh, perennials, because that was my start growing up, was just wandering around in those woods at that camp and finding like the may apples and, you know, all the, I don't know, it, it just reminds me of that period of my life where I was adventuring and trying to figure out what plants were before we had apps and facebook groups and everything like that you have officially stumped me james i don't know that plant i I, I don't know that plant i've never i've never even heard it got me you you got me (laughs) just google wow yeah 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 i I, as soon as we're done i'm gonna look it up because i'm I'm stumped i don't know it I don't know. I tell you guys, I just made that plant up. (laughs) (laughs) You should should have just let it go then. You shouldn't have told us. You should have let us put this out there. Um, Guy's got blood in his veins. Uh, Guy's in his veins. He's got this in his veins. Do do we have time for a final thought? Yeah, why not? All right. So we typically end with a final thought, um, and and we're going to let everyone go, and it can – you can talk about anything you want to. We're, we give you the floor for, for a couple minutes if you want to summarize, if, if there's anything that you'd like to add that we didn't talk about. Now is your time or forever. Hold your peace. Uh, Richard, please. 
great. So again, I appreciate you guys and I appreciate the other people on the call here too. This has been really great. Had a lot of fun. Um, I could, if it's possible, just mention uh, the working group, the Rutgers Organic Land Care Working Group mm -hmm. and our best management practices manual. All right. Awesome. Uh, in our, in our four day online course. Um, you can just Google uh, Rutgers Organic Land Care uh, and you'll find that. Um, and I'm just going to throw out our website, McCoyFineGardens.com uh, and also our blog, hashtag Ecology Matters. Um, and mm. the uh, one, other, one other association is the Organic uh, Landscape Association. It's a national association. And I know how before we sort of talked about how we're trying to get people and groups to come together. Uh, the goal of this uh, Organic Landscape Association is to bring uh, groups like Pinelands and home gardeners and landscape contractors all together under one umbrella and have a place to, you know, we're hoping that we're going to eventually nice. have classes, webinars and things like that where everybody can learn. Um, and again, it's that building that community of people that are like-minded. Um, and that's the goal of that association. So, and again, I mean, you guys at Pinelands are doing a great job and Fran and Tom, I really appreciate you guys doing this podcast. So, uh, and everybody listens to, I appreciate you guys as well. So thanks a lot. Uh, everybody appreciate it. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Roz, go ahead. The floor is yours. Um, I'd also like to express gratitude for being invited um, to be on this podcast today. Not only is it my first vocal uh, presentation of length, uh, but it's also the first podcast I've ever started listening to. So really reached out of my box in listening to the Pinelands podcast. Awesome. <laughs> um, awesome. <laughs> we, we discussed so much today about um, – the ability to share between different nurseries and, um, you know, plants and birds and trees, they're doing it. They're all working together. And there's just no reason why people can't be sharing, you know, their garden information and just grow all together the same way that nature is. And, um, you know, we're trying to connect people to nature and just remembering that the connection is already there because we are nature. So, um, working with natives um it's just part of the song and part of the rhythm of the universe so very, <laughs> that's my that's me <laughs> very very well said you know it's it's funny you say that in in dr salas book uh enrique sala who was our guest last week he mentions that certain trees will actually move their roots to allow seedlings to grow underneath of them so they they've done studies where they've shown that when they produce offspring or a local tree produces offspring, they'll actually move and help uh, their roots to make more room for, for, for other trees. So you make a great point. We're all in this together. There's no reason we can't, we can't share. And I'm glad you made us your first uh, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I had a new year's resolution that I wanted to be a guest on a podcast. I have still yet to be a guest on a podcast. I have to just keep doing my own <laughs> to, so I can talk. All right, uh, Skip, go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, thanks again for having me on. Um, I was very excited when you guys decided to, to put out the podcast because I've been following you guys on, uh, I guess, Facebook a little bit. And uh, I guess for everyone out there, I just say just don't be afraid to experiment and make bold moves. Like, I really had no experience landscaping, and I just decided to plant things that I thought would grow well and would look good, and uh, the results have been pretty nice. Awesome. And then I also planted some pretty crazy looking stuff in a very <laughs> public area. And that was cool too. So just, just have fun and, you know, you know, bring the, bring the park back to your house. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Skip. We appreciate you coming on. James, 
James, it is, the floor is yours. All right. Yeah. The last thing I'd say is, um, cause this is a really common question or a common concern that people share with me when it comes to expanding their gardens and so forth is they're concerned about having a so-called brown thumb. And I think that's a bunch of nonsense. I don't think the brown thumb exists. I think it's usually people <laughs> who tried gardening for the first time and soil that didn't want the plants that they were putting it in. So, you know, follow Skip's advice and others about just so testing your soil, uh, experimenting with different kinds of plants and don't give up just cause you tried, you know, one blueberry bush and it didn't take cause the <laughs> pH was wrong for where you put it. Right. It's uh, mm -hmm. just all about trial and error and not, beating yourself up because you don't get it right the first time. Awesome. Thank you, James. Thank you very much. And Roz, if I didn't say thank you to you too, please, thank you. I appreciate all of you coming on today. Yeah. I, I just have a question for Rich that I've... Yep. <laughs> that's, this is my final thought. What do you do when people ask it? Like, what do I do to spray for mosquitoes? Uh, yeah, no, that's actually an easy one, but it, it's it's easy but maybe not so much because we do tick flea. I'm not going to advertise, but we do flea tick and mosquito sprays and organic and there's cedar oil and eugen oil and they're, they're, you know, uh, all essential oils. Um, so we do that. The problem is, is mosquitoes are airborne. So if mm -hmm. your neighbors aren't having good, good mosquito practices to keep them out of their, out of their yards, they're going to be in yours. So, um, you know, cedar oil is pretty much the way to go, but keep in mind if they're airborne, you're never going to get it yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Do I, yeah. do I get a final thought? Go ahead. Fred. All right. I'll, I'll make it quick. <laughs> it might be the first time ever. You, you know, one thing that I appreciate about this podcast and the Facebook group and the group of people we have on here is that we don't necessarily agree on every aspect of this, but we respect each other's mm -hmm. um input and you, you know even if you don't agree 100 percent, there's something you can learn from everyone and everyone's receptive and open and friendly and that's the way it should be and I, i'm i'm proud that that's the environment that is going on and that we're a part of it if even if if we facilitated it or if we're just a part of it whichever it is you know i'm i'm very proud to be a part of mm -hmm. of what we're doing here and i hopefully it continues on for a very long time that's it. Yeah, that's it. That wraps it up. Awesome. So, hey, we want to thank everyone for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to all our listeners. So, we there are so many conversations just like this happening on our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. So, make sure you go and join that group. It's growing. It's it's not growing super fast, but it's growing. And if if you if you join, you get to be a part of conversations yeah. just like this. We're all on there. We all have. And you should be joining anyway to leave a comment and ruin a book. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so thank you guys for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. And I would love to give a big thank you to Stephen Marr for contributing our theme music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube. Uh, it's also Pinelands Nursery. Let's not forget our Facebook group again. Please join and be part of the conversation. And something else we've been forgetting is our Native Plants Healthy Planet Instagram, which is Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet. So we, I, we haven't been plugging that at all. No, I, you, I think I follow it yeah. on Instagram. Oh, yeah, you definitely I do. I do? Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, uh, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Again, leave a five-star review there for your chance to win Dr. Sal's book, The Nature of Nature. Um, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio. 
uh, YouTube, or you can just ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. I do it all the time when I'm washing the dishes or cooking dinner. I, I like do. to listen to myself talk. I do too, just because <laughs> I, I love that I can talk to Alexa and, and, and we come up. <laughs> yeah. so, thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. We will see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.